Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Saturday, April 25, and Sunday, April 26, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we have something really exciting to cover. Saturday, April 25, was a historic day for the Alliance Party. It was the date of our first presidential nomination convention. Due to nationwide shelter-in-place guidelines, the entire convention had to be held online. This may well be the first online political convention this year, as it seems unlikely we'll be out from under the threat of COVID-19 by the time other parties host their own conventions. So, there were no throngs of attendees, delegates, and reporters roaming the convention floor, mingling with other people, getting into heated discussions, and cheering on their candidates while speakers on a center stage deliver their traditional messages of unity, party, country, and all the principles that guide our path forward. Perhaps most disappointingly for me, there's no grand finale, where the red, white, and blue balloons drop from a ceiling into a crowd of excited people wildly cheering in support of a new future, a new way forward, and a new agenda for a country that is desperate for clear and sensible leadership. As I sit here in my home office, I stare into my computer screen with a gallery of video images over a Zoom connection, looking at the faces of other delegates, candidates, and party leadership. Yes, it is a rather subdued environment, punctuated only by my two cats desperately meowing at my office door, wanting to come in and find a comfortable spot on my lap while the convention rolls on. But the significance of the underlying concept of what is really happening is not diminished in the least. The Alliance Party is making history this year. The message to the American people is that the Democrats and Republicans own the past, but they don't own the future. We've seen the pendulum swing back and forth, Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat, and we ask ourselves, can we not do better? The Alliance Party doesn't want to play the domination game. It simply wants a future where the power to govern is in the hands of the people. For that matter, there should be multiple political parties where the process of governing is not the sole ownership of any party, but instead emerges from true collaboration and cooperation between our selected leaders, no matter what party they subscribe to. And from this perspective, the convention is just as meaningful as an in-person convention. Despite the physical restrictions of COVID-19 mitigation, the Alliance Party is making history nevertheless. And years from now, when the 2020 election is in the history books, historians will note that the Alliance Party took part and played an active nationwide role to move the needle in electing public servants who put an end to corruption and put an end to stagnation and drove a stake in the heart of partisan politics. The Alliance Party will have helped usher in a new era of American values by inserting into our political discourse a strong sense of integrity and honor. The highlight of the convention, of course, was the nomination and confirmation of our presidential and vice presidential candidates. Roque de la Fuente, or Rocky as he is commonly known, was confirmed as the Alliance Party's presidential candidate. Rocky is an American businessman and political reformer. He was the nominee of both the Reform Party and his self-created American Delta Party for President of the United States in 2016. That year, he was also an unsuccessful candidate for the Democratic presidential primary. Having finally found a good fit for his reforms, Rocky is the presidential candidate of the Alliance Party, and he dedicates himself to building a viable alternative option to the usual mundane choices of Democrats and Republicans. 
The Alliance Party's vice presidential candidate is Darcy G. Richardson. Darcy is an American author, historian, and political activist. He was the Reform Party of Florida's nominee for governor in 2018. In the 2012 presidential election, Richardson challenged the incumbent Barack Obama for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States in five state primaries. Darcy is committed to building the Alliance Party into a sensible and viable competitor to the Republicans and Democrats. We will get to the acceptance speeches of these two candidates shortly, but first, let's replay the convention opening speech as delivered by Jim Rex, the Alliance Party's national chair. After his opening speech, Jim will introduce the keynote speaker, Greg Orman. A quick note here before we get started. I apologize in advance for the often poor quality of the audio. Video conferencing has come a long way, but it's not yet perfect, so sometimes the audio may become a bit garbled, though the underlying message still comes through loud and clear. Um, on October the 14th in 2018, just 18 months ago, a group of men and women met in Denver, Colorado. And uh, it was an interesting group of people. Some were from existing state parties. Uh, some were uh, battle-scarred veterans and refugees from the Democrats and the GOP parties. And then there were others with, frankly, very little or no political experience, but they brought a breadth of depth of experience from business, law, education, medicine, public relations, and other fields. But what these people all had in common was that they had a, a patriotic conviction that our country was in trouble and that the trouble had very little to do with our people who were increasingly being divided and misled and disheartened. Instead, the trouble had everything to do with our two-party political system, a system that had taken over and rigged our democracy to the benefit of two private organizations that were raising billions of dollars while misleading millions of Americans. The decision that was made that weekend was to begin the process to build a new national party, but not just another party. God knows this country has enough tribes right now. The real decision was to create a new and different approach to politics in America, an approach that supported Americans interested in public service, not in long lucrative careers in elective office. Americans who wanted to place country over party and who were willing to put solutions over ideology. In other words, public servants willing to lose re-election tomorrow if that was the price of doing the right thing today. That process began 18 months ago and with and remains today a rich mixture of pragmatism and idealism anchored by a much repeated cautionary mantra and everybody I see on the screen has said it and heard it that we say constantly to one another. And that is that we must guard against becoming that which we seek to replace. And so 18 months later, through a process of continuing mergers with existing like-minded parties at the state level who stand ready to challenge the duopoly, along with volunteers who are organizing new alliance affiliates in their own states, we are presently represented in more than half of the 50 states. 
and we're nearing the critical mass necessary to effectively challenge the duopoly nationally and offer a real alternative to the American voter. That alternative, term limited, transparent, unifying, civil, pragmatic, problem solving public service. We simply can no longer continue to do what doesn't work. The stakes are too high and the consequences are too great. For example, it's time for term limits. To politicians, perform your public service for your nation, your community, your state, and then move over. Go home to live under the laws and the policies that you help create. If you want a long career in government, consider being a civil servant at the state or federal level. As we've seen recently, these are extremely important roles that benefit all of us, and they need talented and competent Americans in them. It's also time for transparency. Public servants, you know, really do have to start by generating both trust and confidence. And if you won't trust me, if you want to be a legislator, if you don't trust me with information about your tax returns, then I can't trust you with the power to make decisions that determine the future of my family and my nation. And finally, let's stop the demagoguery that divides us for political advantage. Recently, when this terrible virus scared our career politicians enough, they suddenly and quickly all lined up behind a, quote, follow the science, unquote, approach to problem solving. Well, why can't we also follow the science? In other words, use evidence-based proposals to combat climate change, upgrade our infrastructure, education, legal and healthcare systems. Let's start using fact-based practices and approaches to problem solving in this country. You know, the American people are ready. It's time our politicians, our political system catch up. We are a great nation that has and will continue to do great things. Our willingness to adapt and change has been one of our great strengths. We need to draw upon that strength now more than ever. No voice in America has been more articulate and authentic on the need for political reform than our keynote speaker. Greg Orman, a graduate of Princeton University and a successful entrepreneur and businessman is frankly the perfect keynote speaker for this convention this year. He has and continues to both talk the talk and walk the walk. As a son of Kansas, where he lives with his wife and two young children, he has prospered in the private sector. But like many of you, his personal prosperity was not enough. He saw the lack of adequate prosperity for his state and his nation. And that unmet, lit, that unmet need, excuse me, led him to run to the United States Senate from Kansas 
and then for the governorship in his state. In both races, he ran as an independent. And in both races, as one Kansas newspaper described him, he thoroughly rattled the two-party system in Kansas. A barrage of money and dirty tricks targeted him from both parties because of his unexpected popularity in the polls. And you can imagine what happened. Flimsy litigation, negative and false ads, and of course the ever-present duopoly weapon of choice, the spoiler argument. The national exposure that Greg gained because of his unexpected success as an independent in his state gave him national prominence. That was added to and complemented by his book, A Declaration of Independence, which takes on the two-party stranglehold in America. Greg is justifiably viewed today as a leading national voice on the need for political reform in America. He has been publicly and enthusiastically supportive of the need for a viable national third party in America. So for all of these reasons and many more, as I said a moment ago, he is the perfect keynote speaker for this convention this year, Greg Gorman. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that very kind introduction and congratulations to all the delegates of the first national convention of the Alliance Party. It was at another national convention in Chicago in 1940, as the world sat on the precipice of its second world war that Eleanor Roosevelt informed the delegates something they already knew. It was no ordinary time in America. We are at another such time, but it's a pleasure to be with you today and an honor to be a part of what is hopefully the first of many national conventions of the Alliance Party. At this difficult time, our thoughts are with those who have been directly impacted by this pandemic. And that's almost every American. We have lost friends, loved ones, jobs, businesses, baseball, and the normal national optimism of springtime. What we have not lost, however, is what Lincoln called the better angels of our natures. This pandemic has real, revealed the best in our fellow citizens. At a time when so many are suffering, so many others are rising up to meet the challenge, putting the needs of their neighbors and communities first and demonstrating the power of a nation motivated by a newly found realization of our individual frailties and collective strength. You are here today demonstrating that same strength of character and that same concern for your fellow citizen by standing up and demanding a better way. Politics not driven by tribalism, hatred and fear, but by a shared desire to create a more perfect union. So I wanna thank all of you for not only being a part of this today, but also for your continuing efforts to help our nation live up to its founding ideals. I understand personally how difficult it can be to bring change to a system that's so deeply entrenched. I know firsthand how your efforts are often met with powerful resistance from individuals and organizations with a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. And while you are working hard to create a system that is more responsive to the needs of the American people, it's not easy to persuade voters to look up from their busy lives and daily pressures to embrace your efforts. In some cases, apathy is our greatest obstacle. But those of you here today are sending a strong signal. You are saying that you will not sit idly by 
and watch the greatness of our nation slip away. You will not be bystanders to the death of the American dream. If you are here today, you believe as I do that our system of government is failing the American people and that we deserve better in trying to bring new leadership and new ideas to our nation. The Alliance Party is part of a broader movement of like-minded Americans who refuse to accept hyper-partisanship, corruption, and dysfunction as the natural state of our government. For us then today is about looking forward. It's about imagining a time when we are past the current pandemic and doing the hard work of rebuilding the nation we wanna leave to our children and grandchildren. In looking to the future, it's important to understand how we got here. Our presidential election in 2020 is being billed as the most important election in our lifetime. The current occupant of the White House is a divisive and sometimes reckless person. His crude and self-indulgent behavior is not something we would accept in our children, let alone our commander in chief. He has done almost nothing to bring our country together solve our biggest problems or improve the lives of the American people. His tenure in office has made an already broken political system even more toxic and dysfunctional. But what does it say about how Americans are feeling about their government given the fact that he was elected in the first place? I believe that Donald Trump's election is a direct reflection of how our two-party system has let the American people down. In that sense, President Trump isn't the problem, he is a symptom of a two-party system that has utterly failed us. The 2016 election brought that grim reality into stark relief. It was a turning point for our nation and not a good one. The major parties offered us two presidential contenders with the highest combined negative ratings in the history of presidential polling. The election in and of itself represented a crisis of legitimacy for America. No matter which candidate was elected, they were not going to enjoy the support of a majority of Americans. 2016 also revealed to us how deeply dissatisfied the American people were with the political elite in Washington. Voters gravitated in unprecedented numbers to unconventional candidates. Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders received over 40% of all the votes cast in presidential primaries. While these results shocked the political and media establishment, they shouldn't have. According to many well-respected polls, an unprecedented two-thirds of Americans believe that our nation is in decline. Roughly half of American voters believe that our children and grandchildren will not have a life as prosperous as we do. In itself, that signals the undoing of the sacred social contract that is at the foundation of the American idea. The same polls show that a solid majority of American voters believe that even those who work hard and play by the rules won't necessarily succeed in our country today. That is the death rattle of the American dream. If the primary argument of the Democratic Party nominee for president is a return to normalcy, a return to the status quo, how does that serve the interests of the American people who were so desperately seeking something different? The year Donald Trump was elected marked the 17th year in a row that median household income in America failed to reach the levels we achieved in 1999. Think about that for a minute. 17 years, the amount of time that it takes a child to go from being born to entering their senior year in high school. That's how long it had been since the average American family had a pay increase. 
at the same time, the things they spend so much money on, healthcare, childcare, higher education, had so far outstripped the rate of inflation that for the average American household, it didn't feel like you were treading water. It felt like you were drowning. And by the way, is it any wonder that we can't afford our prescription drugs when the industry spends almost $300 million annually on lobbying? Over half a million dollars for every member of Congress they're paid to influence? Does it surprise anyone that the $4 billion the pharmaceutical industry spent on lobbying over the past two decades led to a prescription drug benefit that denies Medicare the right to negotiate prices? Or that Democrats left that in place with the passage of the Affordable Care Act? We are lining the pharmaceutical industry's pockets with $30 billion a year in excess profits, profits that come at the expense of our country and in some cases, our most vulnerable Americans, those fighting debilitating and oftentimes chronic conditions. Of course, Americans are deeply frustrated. Does it surprise anybody that there's no accountability for the $150 billion a year that we spend to try to make higher education more affordable for Americans? when the industry has spent almost a billion dollars over the last 10 years lobbying to ensure they avoid that very accountability? Is it any wonder that wealthy hedge fund, private equity and venture capital managers pay a lower income tax rate than teachers or firemen when the financial services industry donated almost $900 million to the campaigns of Republicans and Democrats in 2018 with roughly equal amounts going to both sides? Of course, the American people went looking for something different in 2016. The past two decades have created such a deep resentment that the division in our politics is not between Democrats and Republicans, nor between the traditional ideologies of conservative and liberal. Rather, the real division is between the mainstream of the American people and the political class in Washington. The great majority of voters are frustrated with the self-dealing corruption of the ruling political class, incumbent politicians, lobbyists, the Washington media, big business, big banks, big unions, and big special interests. I, I suspect that everyone here understands that. You understand how our system of government is rigged to all but guarantee that certain people are elected. It's rigged to guarantee that the interests of those with money and power overwhelm the interests of everyone else. It's rigged in a way that allows our elected leaders to avoid accountability at the ballot box. And what the last two decades have also proved is that a rigged political system leads to rigged policies. They lead to policies that leave working people behind. If we wanna make a sustainable improvement in the lives of Americans, if we wanna put our country back on firm footing financially, if we wanna protect the middle class, our standard of living and status in the world, we have to fix our deeply flawed and corrupt political system. The Alliance Party needs to be a champion for real reform in how elections are run, financed, and regulated if it wants to have a meaningful impact on the lives of Americans. When I was 17 years old, I had the honor of meeting a president I still admire. In his first inaugural speech, Ronald Reagan spoke of one of the greatest founding fathers, Dr. Joseph Warren, president of the Massachusetts Congress, whose promise would be cut short in the Battle of Bunker Hill, where he served as a simple soldier. On the eve of that battle, Warren said to his fellow Americans, our country is in danger, but not to be despaired of. On you depend the fortunes of America. You are to decide the important questions upon which rest the happiness and the liberty of millions yet unborn. 
act worthy of yourselves. The Alliance Party has to stand for something different than our two parties who merely seek to divide us and believe that no one or nothing could be better for America than a perpetuation of their rule. It has to act worthy of itself. The Alliance Party should be a party of ideas, a party that seeks to elevate the political discourse in America, a party that rejects the false choices of the two major parties, a party based on the belief that new leadership and new ideas are the only way to invigorate America and make the American dream real again for everyone who's willing to work to achieve it. A party that won't divide us with lies or bribe the American people with false promises, but will strive each and every day to approach them honestly, humbly, and authentically. Your party needs to work to push Americans outside the comfortable but destructive confines of the blue-red narrative that pits neighbor against neighbor. Robert F. Kennedy speaking in Cleveland two days after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, when you teach a man to hate and fear his brother, when you teach that he is a lesser man because of his color or his beliefs or the policies he pursues, when you teach that those who differ from you threaten your freedom or your job or your family, then you also learn to confront others, not as fellow citizens, but as enemies to be met not with cooperation, but with conquest. We learn to look at our brothers as aliens, men with whom we share a city, but not a community, men bound to us in common dwelling, but not in common effort. We learn to share only a common fear, only a common desire to retreat from each other, only a common impulse to meet disagreement with force. For all this, there are no final answers. Not only has this tribal approach to politics remained, but it has grown. It has also left us unprepared to deal with our nation's greatest challenges. We need to look no further than the current pandemic to realize how truly dysfunctional and ill-equipped our government is to foresee challenges and prepare for them. Our politics has made it impossible to solve the problems of the 21st century. Instead of working together to find common ground, the leaders of our two major parties distrust the intentions of the other side. The skepticism may be for good reason, as both sides have spent decades viewing problem solving through the lens of political advantage. The problem they are actually solving is not how to improve the lives of Americans, but rather how to keep their stale par party in power to protect their perks and privileges. With America in crisis, the threat of inexorable decline before us, our children's future in doubt, and the American dream itself evaporating before our eyes, there is so much more at stake than the political fortunes and ambitions of two failing political parties in Washington. What matters to the people I speak to is simple. How will they support their families? Will they be able to send their children to college? Will they have security in their lives and health, their homes and retirements? Will their children be safe and happy and have the opportunity to lead productive lives? And while the last two decades have made Americans less confident about the answers to these questions, without real leadership and innovative ideas, the next two decades will see even more disruption. For the Alliance Party to fill that void left by the two parties, it has to be the party of big ideas. This isn't simply a requirement to capture the attention of potentially like-minded Americans or to safeguard our country's future, but a political imperative as well. If you begin to gain any traction, one of the trite attacks against you will be, as it is against all new parties and independents, that you don't stand for anything. 
this tiresome talking point will be hurled against you whether or not you have thousands of pages of policy prescriptions publicly available for all to see. Aided and abetted by their accomplices in the partisan media, the two major parties will criticize, ridicule, and demean your efforts. They will count on Americans not to go out and find the truth for themselves. The antidote for these attacks is to stand proudly for big, bold, innovative policies that can't be dismissed or pushed aside as frivolous reforms, as if good government was something to be ashamed of and reform a dirty word. Instead of being partisan centerpieces intended to secure votes without ever being enacted into law, they need to build on the moral foundations of conservative and liberals alike and be written in a language that is the true ideology of Americans, common sense. And they need to directly address our biggest problems. We can have high quality and affordable healthcare. We can have a good economy and a clean environment. We can have great public schools and a pathway to economic opportunity for all Americans, regardless of where they started in life. We can have a just nation that treats everybody the same, regardless of their race or religion, their gender or who they love. We can have a criminal justice system that protects us, but is also fair and works to improve people's lives instead of trapping them in a cycle of failure. We can have great jobs, economic growth and freedom, and a tax code that values work as much as it values investing. We can reinvigorate that uniquely American concept that where you start in life does not determine where you end up. We can create America, an America that lives up to its ideals. The right policy prescriptions exist. What is lacking is the political will. The political will to base a national campaign and a party's future on, idea, on ideas that will inspire and bring hope instead of a campaign based on fear, self-interest, and self-preservation. In short, what is lacking is real leadership. If the Alliance Party wants to impact the future, it needs to have the courage to take bold, innovative stands that solve our biggest problems. I realize there are many in the media and within the two established political parties who will be concerned about what you're doing. If you gain traction, there will be talk about the potential for you to steal votes from one of the major party candidates. In a race where the margin for victory on a state-by-state -state basis might be a few thousand votes, you can count on that resistance. But if there's one thing the people here understand better than most, it's that votes aren't the part, property of one party or the other. They can't be stolen. They can only be earned. While we are in a unique environment right now, understand that this is but a moment in time driven by introducing a divisive president into an environment that was already saturated with hyperpartisanship and dysfunction. When a new president is elected, whether that's in nine months or five years, we will not magically return to a unified nation. We will return to a nation that is desperately seeking an alternative a nation where 61% of the voters have suggested they would vote for an independent candidate if they thought that candidate had a chance to win, a nation where 82% of the people think elected officials from both parties put special interest groups ahead of the American people, a nation where even partisan voters aren't animated by a love of their own party, but rather a fear and hatred of the other party. In that environment, independent candidates and third parties can thrive if they get Americans to stop voting against what they fear and hate and start voting for what they want and deserve. 
Doing that will require the Alliance Party to not only be a party of ideas and innovations, but also slowly break down the partisan Stockholm syndrome that binds voters to a notion that they must choose between only two choices, even if they consider them both bad choices. Getting voters to cast off the yoke of partisanship won't be easy. It will take decades to accomplish. It will require more alliances, steady leadership, and a steely determination in the face of significant challenges. But the payoff will be monumental. True electoral competition that holds candidates accountable, thereby delivering results for the American people. In February of 1861, Abraham Lincoln left his home in Springfield by train and headed to Washington, DC to confront the greatest crisis ever to threaten the survival of America. Stopping in Indianapolis, Lincoln made these impromptu remarks, which carried a theme echoed throughout his journey through the heartland. I appeal to you again constantly to bear in mind that with you, and not with politicians, not with presidents, not with office seekers, but with you is the question, shall the union and shall the liberties of this country be preserved to the latest generation? While the threat to our union in 1861 was far more obvious than it is today, if we allow the dysfunction in Washington to continue, if we allow public servants to serve themselves and not America, if we don't stand up and assert our rights as owners of this country, the threat will become no less real. I believe in America. I believe we are a great nation trapped in a broken system. I believe we can solve the problems before us and make the 21st century another century of American leadership in the world. I believe that a country that put a man on the moon that harnessed the power of the atom, that took computers that used to fill rooms and put them on ahead of a pin, I believe that country and those people can solve any problem if they set aside their differences and put their minds to it. That is our legacy as a nation. When historians look back on America in 100 years, they're going to write about the people here today and others around the country who stood up to fix our broken and corrupt political system. It is because of American patriots like you who fulfilled their sacred obligation to deliver a better country to the next generation that the American dream will be renewed. It is up to us and to patriots around this great country to stand and fight for what is good, what is just, and what is right. It is our solemn duty as citizens to end the corruption in Washington, to end the fear, to end the hyperpartisanship, and to bring about a new era of government that puts the American people first. Good luck, God bless, and thank you for everything you're doing to help our country live up to its founding ideals. The vice presidential nominee, Darcy Richardson, attempted to give a speech during the convention, but technology just didn't cooperate. His microphone just wouldn't allow his voice into the Zoom connection. So his speech was read by Brian Moore on Darcy's behalf. Later, however, I was able to catch up with Darcy and ask him to provide a recording of his speech for this podcast. Technology may have failed us the first time, but it also gave us this special mulligan so that we could hear directly from Darcy. So here he is, the vice presidential nominee, who was later confirmed as the vice presidential candidate, Darcy Richardson. Hello, everyone. It's an honor and a privilege to be addressing the inaugural National Convention of the Alliance Party, a party, as fate would have it, emerging on the American political scene in one of our nation's darkest moments, an uncertain period in which the United States may be facing its greatest challenge in modern history, the deadly COVID-19 pandemic, 
which has already claimed more than 53,000 American lives while exposing the inadequacies of the U.S. healthcare system, coupled with what will almost certainly be an ensuing deep recession or, more likely, a depression from which we are unlikely to soon recover, presents a most unpredictable future for all of mankind. As National Chairman James Rex, I love Jim, he's great, has eloquently pointed out, the twin crises facing this country demonstrates just how ill-prepared the special interest-dominated duopoly was in preparing for the kind of pandemic the country is now facing. Knowing that the kaleidoscopic impacts of climate change multiplies the threats of infectious diseases, and given the SARS, the Zika virus, MERS, and Ebola outbreaks in recent decades, and the very real possibility of a more widespread global pandemic in the near future, both parties share in the blame for this country's unforgivable lack of preparedness. As Jim has said repeatedly, the United States had ample warnings, decades actually, yet our leaders had done little or nothing to prepare the country for the kind of pandemic we're now tragically experiencing. How pathetic that the United States, once the manufacturing marvel of the world, had to rely on life-saving ventilators, masks, and other basic personal protective equipment from countries like China and South Korea at the outset of this deadly crisis. Making matters worse, President Trump squandered at least eight weeks at the beginning of this health crisis calling the coronavirus a, quote, hoax. And that was only four months after he shuttered the U.S. Agency for International Development's PREDICT program, which was responsible for identifying and combating new emerging viruses. The president's slash-and-burn approach to the scientific wing of the federal government also includes trying repeatedly, and sometimes with success, to cut funding for the CDC's unit for fighting global pandemics. Shame on him. But the Democrats, who have been reduced to second-guessing the Republicans in recent years, also share in the blame. They, too, have neglected science and research, as federal funding for basic research in these critical areas has shrunk markedly over the past two decades during Democratic and Republican administrations alike. The Democrats controlled the House for half that period, and likewise held a working majority in the U.S. Senate for 10 of those 20 years. In this crisis, as with so many other issues in the past several decades, the Democrats and Republicans have failed the country, and they've failed it badly. Sadly, we may now be witnessing the tragic spectacle of an administration that was too slow in responding to this crisis in the first place, and now is too quick to reopen the country. As Dr. Lovelace noted several weeks ago, it's likely we could experience a double whammy, not unlike the 1918 influenza pandemic, which came back with a vengeance and eventually claimed an estimated 675,000 lives here in the U.S., and at least 50 million worldwide. We can't see into the future, of course, but the president should be held personally accountable on November 3rd for his inexcusably slow and tepid initial response to this severe health crisis. I suppose we should count our blessings. It's probably a good thing Donald Trump wasn't around at the time of the American Revolution. If he was and had taken the midnight ride of Paul Revere, he would have arrived in Lexington several weeks after the fact, shouting, the British were here. The British were here. The country can surely do better. The pandemic's resulting economic crisis is also deeply worrisome. Despite Trump's claims to the contrary, there's plenty of evidence that the United States had some very serious financial issues even before the coronavirus outbreak, as evidenced by the little-known fact that the Federal Reserve had inexplicably and quietly 
pumped a staggering 6.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, mostly in the form of repo loans into the nation's largest banks over a six-week period beginning in September of 2019, several months before China reported its first case of this deadly disease. By March, that figure had swelled to $9 trillion in cumulative loans to Wall Street banks. That staggering sum was nearly a third of the $29 trillion, including $16.1 trillion in cumulative loans that the Fed pumped into the banking system during the entire duration of the Great Recession, which, if you'll recall, the Fed battled tooth and nail to keep secret from the American people for nearly two years following that recession. Contrary to President Trump's chest-pounding about the wonderful state of the U.S. economy prior to the pandemic, you know, his daily boasts during his news conferences about overseeing, quote, the greatest economy in the history of the world, the fact is that our economy was already in serious trouble. Sadly, Wall Street apparently never learned its lessons from 2008 and is still heavily invested in derivatives and other risky investment products. Most of this has been ignored by our somnolent media. Goldman Sachs, the firm where Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, the shameless, quote, asset stripper, who later earned a reputation as foreclosure king of America during the Great Recession, alone had a staggering $42.2 trillion in notional derivatives on its books as of last month, with banking Goliath, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Citigroup Citibank not far behind. Even credit default swaps, remember them? One of the instruments that led to the Great Recession are also in vogue. That's pretty scary stuff. But equally worrisome, as the Alliance Party's own Tucker Lewis has so eloquently described, is the staggering level of indebtedness not only of the federal government, but also that of corporate America and U.S. households. Tucker has written some really eye-opening editorials about this troubling trend, and I urge everyone to read them. The national debt has climbed to an astonishing $24.6 trillion, a figure that is likely to increase by several trillion more in the coming months as a, res as a result of the current pandemic, creating a nation of debt slaves for future generations. Corporate debt is also at an all-time high as companies, both large and small, have engaged in a borrowing frenzy over the past decade as the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates to virtually zero following the 2008 financial meltdown. Household indebtedness has also increased, nearly doubling from 120% of average household income in the year 2000 to 223% in 2017, and it is still climbing. Huge gains in the stock market in recent years have masked the fact that the U.S. is more over-leveraged than at any time in its history. As, as Tucker would say, welcome to the debt swell. In any case, President Trump would never acknowledge these troubling underlying concerns about the true state of the U.S. economy prior to the coronavirus outbreak. Nor are they things that presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden could ever possibly grasp or adequately articulate. But if given the chance, these are some of the things that Rocky and I will be talking about on the campaign trail this autumn. In closing, let me say that each and every one of us, those assembled here today and those who will learn about the Alliance Party in the months to come, must bear witness for the times in which we live, an obligation or duty to make this country and the world a better place. The forthcoming campaign will undoubtedly be a difficult one, but I am deeply honored and humbled to be part of this much needed effort. I know that Rocky, the favorite son of all 50 states and of every country that still looks to the United States for leadership, 
feels the same way. Following a steady 40-year decline, one in which our middle class was virtually hollowed out through misguided trade deals such as NAFTA, the Alliance Party, in my view, is the party this country has been waiting for, a party determined to end, once and for all, the hyper-partisanship and extreme polarization of American politics, and, most importantly, a party capable of returning the United States to its historic, independent, and positive role as a force for good around the globe. We should once again be a beacon to the rest of the world, especially at a time when most nations are gripped with fear and uncertainty. We're Americans, after all. This is our moment. Let the bloodless revolution of the year 2020 begin, ushering in a new and creative approach to the myriad issues facing our country, which will once again make the United States of America a gold medalist nation in education, the environment, and a world-class healthcare system while creating an innovative economy for the 21st century that works for everyone, not just the investor class or the so-called 1%. Thank you and keep the faith. And stay safe, everybody. Later in the conference, we were treated to a video that introduced the presidential nominee, Rocky De La Fuente. Obviously, uh, this being a podcast, we were unable to show you the video, but we can listen to Rocky's introductory speech shortly afterward. Leading up to that speech, Jim Rex, the Alliance Party National Chair, introduces Michael Steinberg, a close friend and fellow political activist, to Rocky. Michael will then introduce the nominee, Rocky De La Fuente. Our personal introduction of, uh, of Rocky will be from a close friend and colleague, uh, Michael Steinberg. Um, Michael has been a successful attorney in Miami, Florida for the past 30 years. And during that time, he also has run for office at the state level several times and has sought the nomination for not national office as well. In addition to his candidacies, Mr. Steinberg has litigated against political opponents who have utilized unfair practices. Michael, like his friend Rocky, is prepared to introduce and believe, to introduce himself and also to believe that we have a system that though broken is worth reforming. And he has demonstrated that over the years by his willingness to selflessly engage in the process. Michael, Michael Steinberg. I've had the opportunity to know Rocky De La Fuente for the past five years. I met Rocky when both he and I were running for the Democratic Party nomination for president in 2016. Right away, I could tell he was someone who had the ability to lead. As I got to know Rocky over the next five years, I observed his interactions with his family, employees, friends, and people in general. And here's what I found. Rocky is extremely devoted to his family. Rocky takes care of his employees. Rocky loves his country. Rocky is faithful to his friends. Rocky cares about people. Rocky is generous to the poor and those unable to help themselves. Rocky is honest and forthright. He has all of the qualities of a leader. Rocky thought if he played by the rules, he would be given the opportunity to present his positions and demonstrate why he would be the best qualified candidate for the job when he ran for the Democratic nomination for president. 
Unfortunately, Rocky soon learned that political parties do not play by the rules. The party leadership and insiders predetermine who will be their nominee and do everything in their power to give that candidate the advantage. The media and polling companies are complicit in that arrangement. The major political party rules make it very difficult to even get on the ballot for the nomination. In 2016, Rocky spent millions of dollars of his own money just to obtain ballot placement. In many states, the party's favorite candidate was automatically placed on the ballot, while Rocky had to obtain thousands of signatures. Unless someone is a multimillionaire or a Washington insider, it is virtually impossible to even get on enough state ballots to have a mathematical chance to win the nomination. Not only do parties play unfairly within the party structure, they also collude to keep other parties from challenging their duopoly. They create an almost insurmountable hurdle for third parties to get their presidential nominees on the ballot. Rocky saw this and he knew this wasn't right. It was not good for democracy and not good for our country. While most people would just complain, Rocky set out to do something about it. For the past four years, Rocky has worked tirelessly and at great personal expense to make ballot access more achievable to lesser known, but perhaps better qualified candidates. In 1992, Ross Perot ran very successfully as a third party candidate. Although he did not win the electoral votes, he came pretty close and showed that under the right circumstances, a third party candidate can be competitive. There's another opportunity for a third party candidate in 2020, as there was in 1992. The voters were not happy with George Bush when he broke his promise of no new taxes. They were not happy with Bill Clinton with reports of sexual scandals. Today, the voters are not happy with Donald Trump. Even Republicans acknowledge his liabilities. However, many Republicans and independents will not vote for a Democratic candidate. Today, there is a unique opportunity, perhaps a once in a lifetime opportunity for voters to elect someone who is not way to the right or way to the left. Someone who is not beholden to special interests. Someone who is not interested in political office for personal gain. Someone who has the financial ability to get his message out. Someone who will be respected by leaders of other countries. Someone who will treat members of all political parties with respect. Someone who could be a fair mediator when political parties do not agree on policy. Someone who respects science, mathematics, and economics, and medicine. It is an honor for me to introduce Rocky De La Fuente, candidate for the Alliance Party nominee for President of the United States. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Alliance Party, I think our time has come. If you allow me, I would like to try to lead. If you allow me, I would like to see if I can make a change. It's not gonna be easy, but we can sure try if we put all our energy together. And I basically have a, a, a forward response to Michael's introductions and the video. Wow, and muchas gracias. Hearing all those wonderful words from Michael were certainly pleasing, but I might ask, am I truly deserving of it all? In watching the video, seeing the hearing, all I have done in life, I suddenly feel exhausted.
but none of us can get us where we are in life without the support and guidance of others. We need the guidance of my father, my mother, Jim, Darcy, Michael, and everybody involved. I am blessed with a mother and father who, had, who ran a disciplined household, a home that was full of love. They taught me the values of honesty, hard work, kindness, determination, and resiliency in the face of hardship. I truly believe that any success I have achieved in my business and personal life has been because they installed those values in me, along with a helping, keeping helping of self-esteem, creativity, and curiosity. And I hope people will tell you I still embody those values today. Of course, my success in life has also been achieved by adhering to the ethical, moral, spiritual lessons that were taught to me as a young age, as a Catholic, as a good Catholic. Morality, spirituality, honesty, kindness, determination, ethics, and of course, and most important, trust. I submit to you those values have been lost. No, they have not been rejected by the two political parties in power in the United States today. We need to bring those values back because right now the two political system does not work. In their place, we have a broken political system that embraces distrust, animosity, hostility, and yes, even hatred. As some who loves America for all she has provided to me and millions of men and women like me, it saddens me to say that it is in danger of rotting from within. Because we love America, today we are launching a movement to begin to heal her. We are launching a movement today, the 25th of April, 2020, that would make it healthy again by restoring the long forgotten values and beliefs here sacred by the founding fathers. It is late, but not too late to build, to rebuild our political process on the principles of decency, honesty, integrity, fairness, cooperation, responsibility, and of course, trust. All of the standards championed by the Alliance Party. Alliance Party, they can look at that beautiful name, Alliance. I think you don't have to say more to understand that what it is, it's putting everybody together to make sure we can compete and we can have three-party system in this beautiful country. It's not too late to begin the right of laundering ship of state with our movement to replace the reigning two parties and bring him and bringing her back, of course, again. We are here today proud to be joined in a movement to chart a course that will lead our nation to a grand destination where there exists genuine happiness, unlimited opportunity, and true quality in life for all Americans. And I do mean all Americans. Our challenge now is to incite all Americans to rise up and join the Alliance Party. Join us in this movement. Join in the Alliance before it's indeed too late. Thank you, and God bless America. After Rocky's speech, votes were taken from all the delegates attending. The final result was 24 aye and 2 nay. The ayes carried, and Rocky de la Fuente was confirmed as the party's presidential candidate, and Darcy Richardson was confirmed as the party's vice presidential candidate. After announcing the results, Jim Rex introduced Rocky to provide his acceptance speech. Again, I apologize for the poor quality of the audio in this section. It starts out quite distorted, but please stay with it. It returns to something intelligible after everyone on the call muted their microphones. Mr. President, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have the honor of introducing the Alliance Party's 2020 nominee for the presidency of the United States, Raka Rafi Delapai. 
delegates, beautiful numbers. Uh, hopefully, we could have made it unanimous, but even those that did not vote for me, hopefully, I will learn their respect in the foreseeable future. And hopefully, we can make a big team together. I'm deeply humbled and truly proud to accept your nomination for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a huge task ahead of us. We are making history, but our work now begins. It really begins now. Our priorities are clear. But before I tell you our priorities, let me give you what I believe in unity. If we're one person, Mrs. Long, or Mr. Smith, or Mr. White, they can break us. If two of us unite, they break us. But if all of us together, all the parties get together and we unite, they cannot break us. We cannot do this ourselves. We must do this together. Together we will make it stronger. To make these significant strides in achieving our mission, fundamentally change the governing structure of this nation, we must continue to unite with all other parties so we can make the changes this nation needs so badly. We must forge a true alliance with all other parties nationally in order to be on the ballot in all 50 states. To break up the monopoly the Democrats and the Republicans have on our country. I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. And I'm ready to lead you in that challenge. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? I hope you are, because I am. Now is the time for bold, creative, innovative, and smart action. It is not the time to congratulate ourselves on how far we come or how fast. We must not look in the rearview mirror. Now is the time to dedicate ourselves, our collective energy, and yes, our fortunes to the challenge ahead. The American people know the current process of our national government is broken. We must convince the American people we are the solution. We must remind them the almost, for, the, the almost forgotten principles on which this nation was founded principles that the Alliance Party stands for. First among those near sacred dedications to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of this great United States of America. The Constitution has been ruthlessly abused, illegally manipulated, plainly ignored, and regularly misused to gain partisan political advantage. We must convince America we are the change agents that can bring an end to government corruption, stagnation, in partisan politics. We must convince America that we can bring America values and emphasize the importance of integrity and honor. We must convince America that we are the new political party with a modern, fiscal responsible, common sense, nonpartisan problem solving agenda. And I do repeat, nonpartisan solving agenda. We must convince America that we will provide a new kind of politician, a term limited transparent public servant who puts our country before party and solutions before ideology. America knows it's time for a new choice, a better future, and we must convince them we are lead, that we will lead them there. We must share with America the six words that define the principles and governing philosophy of the Alliance Party. Unity, and therefore community, responsibility, accountability, fairness, integrity, and the most important one, civility, something that it, the current, uh, the, our current uh, commander in chief does not understand the word civility. 
It is clear to all Americans that they have been left out of the process and marginalized as citizens. It is clear to all Americans that we have lost our way as a democracy. Not even worse, we are losing democracy itself. The Alliance Party will awaken and bring into our movement a new kind of informed, tolerant, deserting citizen, one who is an ally to his or his fellow Americans. The Alliance Party will promote citizenship in which people don't vote straight party tickets or blindly adopt positions that are mandated by a political tribe. And we know who those political tribes, we only got two, the GOP and the, the DNC. A growing majority of us feel unrepresented by the two narrowly defined and competing choices that historically been provided to us. I have a vision of America that ranks as the best example in the world in the outcomes that determines the quality of life of our citizens. I have a vision of America that combats the human challenges we all hold in common, immigration, climate change, poverty, ignorance and sickness, income, inequality and injustice. Together we're stronger, let's unite guys. We can do this together, thank you. On Sunday afternoon, just before we submitted the podcast for publication, I had the chance to catch up with Jim Rex to get his final thoughts on the first Alliance Party presidential convention. Jim? Well, uh, you know, for a party that's only 18 months old, uh, having a presidential and vice presidential candidate um, is certainly an unexpected accomplishment. But I think that the Alliance Party has exceeded expectations from the very beginning. Nobody thought that in 18 months we'd have this party in more than half of the 50 states, um, that we would have candidates running up and down the ticket uh, for state houses and as well as for the uh, Congress. Um, And, you know, some people thought that a party that required term limits of its candidates and that required financial transparency, even to the tune of having uh, to put their tax return information uh, up to the public on their website, that those kinds of high expectations would turn candidates away. But here we are with um, lots of candidates. And as it's turned out, it has actually attracted candidates, the term limits and the financial transparency. And most importantly, it's attracted the right kind of candidates, the the ones we're looking for, the public servants, the people that don't uh, necessarily want to be career politicians. So to add on to all of those accomplishments, having a presidential and vice presidential candidate, who again are the right kind of candidates for our party at this time. And we think the right kind of candidates for this country at this time. They're both reformers. Uh, Both of these gentlemen have run for office before. They've um, tried to tackle the system and change it. And uh, they're also very interested and committed to building the Alliance Party, not just between now and November, but uh, between now and and the next uh, decade. So they're interested in party building. These are not one man ego shows, which unfortunately sometimes is the case with the national candidates. So um, another way to say it, I guess, is that the Alliance Party is uh, in the arena during a presidential election year. Um, If we didn't have a candidate, it would be hard to uh, not be ignored be hard to get our message out because everybody wants to focus on the presidential candidates. So we're in it to win it. Um, and we're going to stay in play. Um, as far as <clears throat> the messaging, you know, the, 
there's so many messages, as I think your listeners know, if they've been listening to this program that we're trying to send to Americans. But I guess paramount would be that you now have an opportunity to exercise your right to choose to use your vote to change a system. Um, and it's a system you know is corrupt. You know it's not working. And this is a way to uh, cast a vote for a president and a vice president that sends that message clearly. And it's nice to have a chance to vote for something instead of always being asked to vote against something, which has been the case with the duopoly. So um, we're going to hopefully in the um, in the months between now and November have lots of opportunities to share these messages with the American people, and hopefully they'll begin to resonate. Thank you, Jim, for providing an excellent wrap-up of the convention podcast. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance on Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.